Welcome to Counter Stories, a program by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Haley Lee, owner of The Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers, and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians and associate at Dendros Group. So both Anthony and Luz cannot join us today, but we have two amazing people sitting in, both representing Greater Minnesota, too, which I'm really happy about. Um, Katya, let's start with you. Sure. Thank you. Hello, everybody. My name is Katya Cepeda, and I am the Legislative and Policy Director for the Minnesota Council on Latino Affairs with a focus in education. And I am originally from Mexico City. And moved to the U.S. and lived in greater Minnesota, specifically Crookston, for over 25 years. So you could imagine the culture shock that that came with, coming <laughs> from the biggest city in the world at that time to one of the smallest communities that you could find in Minnesota, to where one of the city blocks was the population of my town. So <laughs> I'm happy to be here. So thank you. Hi, I am Stephanie Williams. I um, am in Duluth, Minnesota. I was born in um, South Minneapolis and lived there until I was 11 and then moved here to Duluth, which was completely white when I moved here 30 years ago. And now there's a handful of Black people, so that's fun. Um, yeah, I'm in economic development. I'm currently um, running for school board here in Duluth, and I will hopefully be one of the only Black school board members. So that would be great. I want to thank you both for, for joining us um, and jumping into this conversation with the two of us. Um, just right off the bat, I know, Stephanie, it was a last-minute thing. Katya, I know we usually are talking about other business arts um, so this is a different conversation for the two of us to have. We are continuing our legislative wrap-up series, um, and we have a very special guest today to help us walk through an important act that um, was passed this year. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Esther Agbaje, and I'm a state representative uh, representing House District 59B, which covers Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis, and parts of Northside Minneapolis. So I've been in the legislature now for two terms, uh, going into the second year of my second term. And as a DFLR, I'm very excited because we did have a trifecta this past uh, session, and we are really looking forward to more bills that will pass um, my profession by trade is I'm an attorney, uh, so also come at the law with the perspective of someone who has had to litigate before. Uh, not sure what else I should talk about, but I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you for the introduction and thank you for joining us. We are talking about the Crown Act. Um, that means the Creating a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair Act. So calling it the Crown mm -hmm. Act. Um, yeah. what, what is that? What does that mean? Yeah, thanks. So, you know, this is a bill that I've been really excited about since even before I got into the legislature. Um, I've kind of been watching it um, being talked about around the country uh, starting around 2017, 2018, um, about what, you know, people were talking about this idea that there was a problem with natural hair, particularly 
uh, for black women, black girls, because you would see stories sometimes of people who would have to take their braids down or they'd have to be, get their hair straightened or, you know, even really horrific things where people were getting their dreadlocks cut off um, in front of other people um, against their will. And so this is something that had kind of been popping up for a little bit, particularly when you work in the corporate space, there's a lot of pressure to conform to Eurocentric beauty standards. And so that, mm -hmm. that, that was what interested me. When I did get into the legislature, uh, Representative Rena Moran, who had been carrying it in the state of Minnesota uh, in the 2019-2020 session, you know, she had a new position. She was the chair of Ways and Means, and so she was looking for folks to help help her out with her bills. So I, I raised my hand for the Crown Act one because as someone whose hair is curly and very tight <laughs> and, you know, has dealt with a lot of time in school where I, you know, felt that pressure to keep it straight, you know, this was a bill that really appealed to me. And it's a really simple bill. All it does is it updates the Minnesota Department of uh, the Minnesota Human Rights Act and says that a person cannot be discriminated against um, based on their hair and um, whether it's in a style of uh, curly, afro, uh, braids, or uh, dreadlocks. And so we were able to finally pass that this year after uh, three separate introductions. And so I'm really grateful uh, to my colleagues who helped, helped us push that over the finish line. And it was actually a bipartisan bill. So um, this is a, really a bill for everyone. Mm -hmm. So it took three times to to get this passed. Why did it take three introductions? Well, <laughs> I think part of the reason that it took three times is, you know, the political makeup of the Minnesota legislature probably wasn't ready for it. Um, the first two times it was introduced, uh, once in 2019 and once again in 2021, we had divided government. So Democrats were in control of the House, Republicans were in control of the Senate. And in, in both times, though, there was a lot of education happening with Republicans in the Senate to help them understand this bill. And a lot of them actually did. You know, they themselves had children or grandchildren um, or relatives who were black and who had experienced this firsthand. So many of them were very aware of the situation. Um, unfortunately, the pushback that we kept hearing was, well, if we already have laws that are about no discrimination in the workplace, in housing, in education, why doesn't this just fall under that? Why do we need a separate law? And the answer that I tell people is you need a separate law because what, what companies and school districts and you know, people were doing is using hair as a proxy for race. So they wouldn't say, I'm not going to rent to you because you're black or because you're Latino or, you know, whatever. But, you know, they, or you or you can't get this job because of the, of your, your skin color, but they would tell people that, well, this job is like, you know, public facing and, and, you know, we have a certain appearance we like to have. And so we don't think you would be a good fit. Right. Mm -hmm. And all that's doing is saying that the way your hair grows out of your head naturally, the way you appear as a human being is not right for an organization. And so that's why that's, that was actually the impetus of this law in the first place, because there was a woman in, uh, Florida who was denied a job and because of her hair. And they told her directly that we're not hiring you because we think the style that you're wearing your hair does not fit our organization. 
You know, when you when we talk about this and when we think about it, I don't think people realize that this is a form of form of forced assimilation and that it's not just in the workplace. And it's an issue that affects everybody, including children and not just in their schools, but also when they're trying to integrate into society by doing extracurricular activities as well. And so I think back to, you know, our Latinidad, which is, well, that's one of the beauties about it is how diverse we really are. We have Afro-Latinos, you know, in our um, community. And it's fighting that colonialism that we were taught that curly hair was bad. We actually call it pelo malo and, you know, bad hair and trying to not just fight that within our own communities, but also in society. And we need to have those laws protecting us parents that are trying to break those cycles. And I see that with like, I know, Healy, you wanted me to bring my perspective as a mom. And, you know, like I had mentioned earlier, I have a daughter and she is an Afro-Latina. Her dad is Nigerian and I am Mexican. And I remember when, and she's got beautiful curly hair. I love her hair. And I made sure to educate myself on how to care for her, her, for her hair and for her to feel pride in her hair. And that, yeah, it takes a little extra time to care for it, but that's because it's a, it's beautiful hair. And her grandma saying, oh, you should, wanting to buy her a relaxer to relax her hair. And she was three. And I said, I am not doing that to my child. And you have to continue to fight that because now she's in dance. And I'm not going to say the name of the dance organization that she's in. But I recognize my privilege that I have through the work that I'm doing and the fact that I am aware of the Crown Act. But her dance, this dance organization, their central office is in Brainerd. And so they have dance classes um, the branches throughout the whole state. And when we got the letter of the newsletter of what the requirements were for them to go to dance um, practices, you know, the attire that they have to wear, they even had a clause on how they should wear their hair and their hair is supposed to be styled the way that I have it right now. And they have a picture of that where their hair needs to be slicked back in a bun. My daughter has braids and there's no way that I am gonna take off her braids for her to conform to the requirements for her to be in that dance. And they don't realize that that's discriminatory and that now my daughter, I can go, and that's the thing is like, we can now empower the parents to be like, hey, there's a lot that protects us and this policy that you have in place is discriminatory and please do something about it because it's not just affecting my child, but this, you know, <laughs> they also have teachers that are of color. And my daughter is so excited that, you know, we recently relocated to the Twin Cities area. So she had been practicing in this dance studio in Crookston as well. And so for her to come now in the Metro and have a black teacher that's teaching her hip hop dance and that also has braids just like her is empowering. And that's why we need to have these policies in place to continue to have those spaces available for all of our students, regardless of who is having that um, policy that they don't realize, you know, their train of thought is so that they don't distract other people. And that's why they should be in a slick bun, but they don't realize that that's actually discriminatory 
to other hairstyles yeah. that we have. I think that's a great story. I mean, those are the types of stories that we heard about as this bill was going through and it's now law. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating that you say that that happened in Brainerd. My, you know, I spent two years in Brainerd as a child and, you know, my brothers and I were like the only black kids in the schools that we went to. And you're right. Mm -hmm. Like you do stand out already. And mm -hmm. so for, you know, for folks to be like, oh, well, your hair needs to be, look like an X, Y, you know, X, Y, Z certain type of way. It makes you, it can make you kind of question like, okay, how do I, how do I need to be in the world, especially when you're a child? And so, um, you know, part of the, one of the big groups behind this law is also um, the Dove, Dove Corporation, which, you know, everyone yes. knows them. They sell lotions, body soap, hygiene products. Um, but they stepped in and they actually helped with their foundation to do research on this. And they found that the mm -hmm. um, majority of black girls, even before the age of five, you know, they have experienced some type of discrimination because of their hair. Mm -hmm. And they also found mm -hmm. that black women are two to three times more likely than their white counterparts to be sent home or told that they need to do something about their hair at work. Um, so there's data behind this that shows that, that this is happening yeah. to people. That's so interesting that you bring that up because that's where I learned about it too. I used to follow Dove and that's how I learned about the Crown Act is through their Instagram account and the campaign that they have. And it's beautiful. If you have a chance, check it out. I highly recommend. Dove did a really great job of teaching and letting people know what the, the Crown Act is. And so when I saw it come across <laughs> in our state legislature, I was like so happy and so excited. And I was rooting for um, SEMA or the African American Council that they, you know, that was, this was something that they were championing for as well. So yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to share a story too. There's, I'm running for school board here in Duluth, Minnesota, and there is um, a young girl. She's a swimmer um, in the middle school and um, she's the, the only black girl on the team. And, um, you know, as part of as part of the uniform, you are provided with the matching swimsuit and then the matching swim cap. Well, they didn't have one large enough for her braids and her natural hair. And they put it on um, her family, who actually happens to be white as well. They put it on her, her family to um, go and get her the kind of swim cap that would be appropriate. And I give kudos to the mom who said, no, like you provide this for everybody else. You're providing this for my child. It's discriminatory if you do not. And so um, I like hearing stories like that um, just, you know, to make, make our school district more aware of, of the inequities that happen as yeah, just for little kiddos when, especially when we are marginalized and we are the only one and people think that we have to make accommodations to participate in in their world it's it's unfair so yeah i i'm i'm so grateful for the crown act and for everything you did to get it so thank you yeah it's exact that that story is exactly right we don't we shouldn't have to make accommodations on our own so we can fit in like society should make accommodations for us so that way everyone is treated equally and fairly i'm a black indigenous and so, like uh, Katya, we don't, you know, we don't have a romantic-sounding term um, when we refer to our hair. But 
we are all aware of the different, I guess, the different layers, right? So I, when I was younger, I learned that I had good hair, right? Good hair. Now, my hair is curly, right? And when I let it grow long, I used to have an afro, you know, if you can, if you can, if you can imagine Angela Davis, oh, nice. then that's that's how big my fro was. But I'm a lot older than you guys, so I had this fro back in the '70s. I'm I'm talking in high school, right? So 70, 70, 69, 70, 71, stuff like that. I had this big fro, um, but I never did experience any discrimination. I also was a student athlete, and I played football, and not once. Did I experience any any type of discrimination when it came to my hair? So, but I what I do remember is is uh, with the football helmet. When I put the football helmet on, I had these puffs of hair that came out through the ear holes, and then I had this puff of hair that that came out on the back of the helmet, right? But not once was I ever criticized. Um, for my hair. So were you a really good player? Yes. Mm. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but then at the same time, uh, and maybe because I was just younger in my 20s, I don't remember experiencing any, any discrimination in the workplace either. But that's, a you know, having a fro, I think is a lot different than, than what current hairstyles are and so while I have not experienced that personally because I have good hair um I ha- I am aware of those stories those horror stories that we were hearing in the media I think um and I think there was an incident even here in the Twin Cities concerning a black youth in school and uh the discrimination that he experienced with his hair because I remember you know, remembered hearing these media stories of people being refused jobs or people having jobs and losing their positions um, uh, because of their hair. And and so the, the two places that you heard about it the most, unfortunately, were in schools and in business, right? And so I know that attached to the crown ad, I, I pulled it up and I looked at it, and one of the nice things that I, I liked about that is that they um, included a fact sheet that actually says, you know, where does the law apply? So anywhere the, the Minnesota Human Rights Act applies, such as schools, apartments, workplaces, banks, restaurants, businesses, stores, government buildings. And, uh, and then it also gives... Uh, some bullet points on examples of hair discrimination. Uh, an employer fires a black employee for wearing braids or school forces black student-athletes to shave their locks or forfeit their match. Oh, I forget, it was either, I think it was wrestling or something else that this happened to a black, a black student-athlete. And a restaurant denies entry to a black couple with twists because of the restaurant's policy that patrons dress nicely. So, I mean, I like the fact that they, uh, the state provided this fact sheet, 
But when I looked at that fact sheet, and even though it 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 um, explains, you know, all the different areas where you cannot do that, and it actually gives examples. I'm hoping people don't look at that fact sheet and and think that if it's not on that fact sheet, mm-hmm. then it's not covered. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, the fact sheet I know was put out as an example to give folks examples of what they can't do. But I know that there might be instances where people might look at that fact sheet and think, oh, well, it's not on here. So maybe we're, you know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think people have to remember that with any law, all we can do as lawmakers, policymakers, even attorneys is give examples. And then if someone wants to kind of nitpick and say like, well, that's not an exact example that was given, what happens is no matter what the situation is, an investigation will have to be done. We'll have, you know, people will look at the fact pattern to determine if there's actually a case here to be made. You know, some people were asking us like, well, does that mean anybody who comes in looking unkempt or whatever can't now be discriminated against or asked to dress nicely? It's like, no. But you do have to make sure that whatever grooming rules you have for your business or your school, that they're applied equitably so that you're not just saying, you know, if someone is coming in and, and, you know, maybe they need some help, sure, you can give them that help. But if someone is coming in and they just have a different hairstyle that you're not familiar with because it's not part of your culture, you can't turn them away or deny them access because of that. And so that's what this law is doing. Um, in order to continually affirm the fact that people have the ability to show up in spaces as who they are. Um, so, yeah, but I think that's a really good point about just understanding that these examples that people are giving are not exhaustive because, unfortunately, um, you know, racism and discrimination continues to show up in very different ways across our society. So, Representative... You know, the thing that comes up for me, um, being a black indigenous person, but being an indigenous person, is that there have been instances throughout this country where indigenous students have been denied um, graduation from high school or colleges because of indigenous, indigenous regalia that they would like to proudly display um, while they're wearing their caps and gowns. And there have actually been instances where folks have been denied that opportunity mm-hmm. to walk across that stage and obtain their di- diploma, which they worked very hard for. Now, I know the Crown Act doesn't cover that, but would it cover so so if an indigenous person who um, could put their hair in braids, but then adorn those braids with a feather or some kind of regalia, would this act cover that also? It would. And we also have a second law that we passed this year, too, that supports indigenous people for wearing uh, the appropriate regalia that they would like to. So they would have two laws that cover them. Um, <laughs> you, if you are wearing braids and, and to be, to be clear too, the crown act does predominantly affect black women, but it's actually for everyone. Um, so it does cover the rights of indigenous people to also wear their hair the way they want, whether I know that there are some indigenous cultures, they really celebrate long hair 
um, for men and women, um, long braids, braiding styles, though that would be covered under the Crown Act. Um, you know, I think people forget that actually some of the first people to fight for their rights about how to wear their hair were actually white men in the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. who wanted to wear their hair long. And the airlines, if they were uh, uh, employed as a flight attendant or a pilot, were telling them they had to cut their hair. And there was no real safety reason for that, right? Mm. So this, the Crown Act, yes, it is primarily geared for and about Black women, but it covers everyone who has a cultural, traditional, you know, their hair is important to them. It is part of who they are. And it is something that is part of your body. And so unless you're doing, you know, you're doing hair dyes or something, you know, Crown Act won't cover hair dyes, but if it is something that is natural to you and your culture, it will cover that. And we know that with indigenous populations, with our history of boarding schools, yes. you know, one of the first things they did to force that assimilation on our children was to cut their hair. I mean, that hair was their identity, and it still is. So for many cultures, including indigenous cultures, hair is a part of your identity and, um, and part of and, and, and helps identify who we are. And, you know, it's that important. Donald, I just wanted to touch in. I was part of the Increased Teachers of Color Act, and in that act is where we have the protections for students to wear their regalia to graduation. So that did get passed. And that was legislation that we'd been trying to pass since 2017. And so we were fortunate to finally pass it. Um, this past legislation, there were just so many great laws that passed that protect our other communities that we have. So I think that's a great win that we have. But also, you know, I'm glad that we're touching on the hair for other communities. I am also indigenous, uh, Mexica, uh, my children. So that means that my daughter is also, you know, um, indigenous as well. And so I, that's one of the reasons why I think this law is important. It's because it also protects, it gives everyone some power, something to hold on to, to say, you know, fight those biases that we have. I know that in our community, they tell you, they would tell us, oh, don't wear your hair in two braids, you know, because then you're going to look, look like an Indian, like an Indian. So that was like our parents trying to protect us, you know, from the biases and the discrimination that we would have. And, you know, that was one of the things that I look back on. And I remember for my father, he was, he brought us up with such a decolonized mentality and wanting to make sure that we were proud and strong of our indigenous roots and so you know like he didn't allow us to get our hair cut we had it long beautiful hair but then the minute that my parents got divorced that was the first thing my mom did was cut my hair mm -hmm. you know and then we moved to the U.S. and that's where everybody has that you know central that idea of Europeanized standards of beauty that it's long whether it's either long or if it's going to be short, it's short and straight. Mm -hmm. And you see that play out in other countries. Like I think of uh, Japan, where the girls have to have short hair and it's got to be black. And if it's not black, they have to dye it. And that is part of their 
uh, policies for schoolgirls in Japan. So you realize that it's not just here in the U.S., but you realize how much emphasis is put specifically on women to have to look a certain mm-hmm. way and for their hair to be a certain way. Otherwise, you can't even get something as basic as an education. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that is alarming. And that's it's really unfortunate that we need to have these laws. But I'm glad that we are finally standing up and realizing that these laws need to be created to protect all women and all girls to have their basic needs just an education or to participate in dance, to participate in whatever they need to participate in, to be their full authentic selves in any space that they choose. Yeah. Um, I, I have a question about the act specifically. Um, and I guess it, I'm thinking about it in regards to my experience uh, moving up here being one of the only I was the only black person in my my whole school besides my older brother who was a great ahead of me and so back then it was like 1993 I was like the only black person that people had met in real life which just still boggles my mind and so there was a lot of groping and touching and it was very annoying um you know just to be that anomaly, I guess. Um, would, would the Crown Act cover um, like head wraps and bonnets and, and things like that? Um, not just protective styles of putting your hair in twists and, and braids and, and locks, but um, actual like scarves and head wraps? Or is that covered under something else? Or is that not included in anything? Yeah, that's a really good question. So we focused in the Crown Act around the country, different, it's about 23 states that have passed it now, have primarily focused on the hair that's growing from your head and the protective styles you can put it in. Um, I know some states have wanted to try to expand it to like scarves and all that type of stuff, but I think that is still kind of open for, particularly in the business space, uh, depending on if they're having an equitable grooming policy you know, if that's applied equitably, I think that that if they wanted to remove scarves, I, I mean, I think that might be OK. You know, if you're wearing a scarf for a religious purpose, that would be covered under the religious rights acts that we have. Um, so so there is that that aspect to it. But, you know, that is a really good question because it is part of kind of the whole cultural identity, particularly for black women. You know, scarves are part of that. And so I think it, that would probably end up having to be a type of conversation with that space. But for now, the law primarily is is covered, is only covering um, what naturally grows from your head and the protective styles for that hair. Gotcha. Thank you. <laughs> so one thing you had mentioned, um, Representative, was, you know, that the Crown Act mostly benefits Black women, I think. And uh, I think women in general are often uh, judged more roughly on on how they present themselves, especially in the um, in the working world. I mean, I was working with a black man, and um, we were talking with a black woman, and who had um, locks. And on the way out, he said, "I thought it was a little unprofessional." You know, even coming from a black man, right? Or um, showing um, wearing a, a nut like a sleeveless shirt, even if it's a professional shirt. Um, I get people saying, you know, I think that's unprofessional of her to do that. It's like, oh, it's 90 degrees, right? But it's still unprofessional for her to do that. 
So it's like, I just, I do feel like there's always this concern over how we look, even, you know, especially in the workplace, but um, in school as well, everywhere that we go. And so, you know, I like working from home because like, I'm not a very good dresser. So (laughs) it works out really well for me. Um, I don't think I've ever had any hair discrimination other than like, working at a place or applying for a job and people mistake me for the other Asian woman, right? Yeah. Because we have long black hair. So I'm at the copier and it's like, oh, call me by the other girl's name, Um, you know, stuff like that. Um, And then like my parents just being like, you're a girl, you have to have long hair conversations for when I shave the side of my head. Um, Other than (laughs) that, you know, I think I've I've benefited from not – really experiencing that. And I think that's why, you know, when we talked about why it took three times for this to become law is a lot of people who don't experience it, just assume it doesn't happen. They're just like, how could that really happen? Right. How could somebody look at a person and say, you, we don't like your hair, so we're not going to hire you. It be, but it does happen. And I think what we're doing here is, is sharing examples of how it does happen, not only to employment, but to students Because we have seen a lot of those stories lately, as Don mentioned, of it happening to students at different um, events, uh, shaving your head, forced to shave your head to be a part of a wrestling match, right? Those those sorts of things. And so um, this impact, I just feel like it's going to be a bigger impact than maybe some people think. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll just say that like, so many people have, even when the bill was still in introduction and the first two times when it did pass, you know, they were very excited to have something like this because they knew it was something that they could stand up on to say, like, we have to be included. Right. And I think that's part of it. So the point, the larger point you have about how women appear in society, I mean, that's a whole other podcast, right? Like, <laughs> you know, but yeah, you're right. Like, you know, a lot of this was pushed forward by black women. Because I think as Black people and as women, we are under so much scrutiny of mm-hmm. how we appear. Are yeah. we smiling enough? Are we participating mm-hmm. enough? Mm-hmm. Are we motherly enough? Are we nice enough? Are we, you know, bossy enough? Like, you know, and you can never be too, too much of any one thing. Um, and then if you're a Black woman or another woman of color, then it's like, okay, you have that other added layer of like where you're coming from. So, you know, I think, you know, I'm hopeful that as we continue to create a multicultural, multi-gender society that, you know, we're very mindful that we should allow people the space to be people and to show up as who they are in terms of the gifts they have to give to our community. You know, their intellect, their business acumen, their uh their ability to like make a great pot of coffee. I don't know what it is, but like they should, (laughs) they should be able to show up as themselves. And so I think bills like this, even though it's on a very specific topic, I like to tell people it's a civil rights bill. You know, Mm -hmm. it's again, it's Mm -hmm. a way of saying, we care about you. We see you. We want you to fully participate in our society. Mm -hmm. Can we talk more, I guess, about what what that protection looks like? So someone's at school, someone's at work, they're told their look isn't right, they got to fix their hair, 
And um, yeah, and and that that person, let's say it's me, I'm at work and and they tell me to go home and I say, no, I have rights and they still send me home anyway. Um, what are next steps? What is a person supposed to do? Um, if, if they said like, I have to relax my hair, or I'm fired or, you know, like what, what is a person supposed to do? Like that law is there to protect them, but what is, what does that protection look like? Right. Well, first and foremost, as an attorney, if you can get them to get that in writing, all the better. But, <laughs> um, but realistically, what that looks like is if you end up in such a situation, right, like you are an employee, like you either have been offered a job, um, you come to work, and then maybe like a week or so later, they're like, you know, we really want you to change your hair. Um, and they don't have a reason. Like there's no safety issue. There's no health concern. Um, nothing like that. You know, you can file a complaint. Um, you can file a complaint with either your city civil rights or human rights department. Um, if you want to go further, you can file a complaint with the Minnesota Department of Human Rights. They will look into that complaint. They will investigate it. You know, they'll do the interviews and stuff that they need to do. If there's merit to your claim, they can then, um, you know, they have enforcement mechanisms that they use on businesses. If they comply, great. You can move forward. If they don't, that can then lead to litigation. Um, you can also, you know, even if you want to go outside the complaint process, if you have the means, you can also seek an attorney yourself who can do that investigation for you. Um, it would probably be like an employment law case. Um, they also would, you know, if you wanted to sue your employer, particularly if you had very strong evidence, I think, you know, that could be a situation that folks may want to go. But primarily, most people will probably end up filing a complaint with the uh, their local Department of Human Rights or Civil Rights, who will then investigate. So, Representative, in that explanation, you mentioned that, you know, if they just kind of ask you to uh, change your hair or whatever, but what if they do have, um, or and they bring up a health issue or some other kind of issue? Yeah. Yeah. How does, well, how does that play into it? Right. And so this would have to be like a documented like health or safety concern, right? So like one big question we always got is like, well, what if you work in a factory and, you know, loose hair can get caught in machinery? That's something you're applying to everyone, right? So everyone has to come in wearing a type of hairnet or pulled back in order to, you know, not be in the machines. Or if you're in food services and they want everyone to wear a type of hairnet so food isn't getting or hair isn't getting into the food. If it is a policy that is, you know, has a specific reason tied to it, is applied equitably to everyone, they can tell you, hey, you're working here. This is a situation where having loose hair is dangerous. We need you to pull it back. You can't really fight them on that because they're trying to protect you and they're also applying it to everyone else. But there have been situations where people have worked at even restaurants and coffee shops. They said, oh, um, they told a, a man who had, you know, uh, a longer Afro, you need to cut your hair. And he was like, well, why? Um, you know, they were trying to say, oh, I think, you know, I think we have a health issue here, but they didn't ask anybody else to change their hair. Right. Everybody else still came in, did what they were doing. This wasn't a change that was being applied across the board. It was just specifically directed at him. So when you have a situation like that, that could be grounds to do an investigation to see, are they applying this equitably and fairly, or are they just singling out the person of color? 
Um, so that's why those investigations have to be done before any type of lawsuit or compensation or something can be can happen. So let's talk about um, provisions uh, provided for like on air talent per se. Um, you know, they they uh, like TV TV reporters can. Um, there's a stipend. Usually you can go get your hair done or you can do this or that or, or whatever. And the, the station will pay for it because you're on your talent and we want you to look a certain way. Um, I have heard about an, an instance here in Duluth, um, with a black reporter. Um, they only gave so much and that was enough, enough to get her hair braided. Or, you know, we don't have a lot of hairstylists here in Duluth. So that means, you know, either traveling to, to the cities to get, find somebody to do your hair. Like it's, it's going to just be an astronomical mm-hmm. cost. And they're like, well, we're not paying that. Is that something? I mean, it doesn't feel equitable. It doesn't feel equitable because, you know, Sally can just go to JCPenney or go to Great Clips and she's fine. And um, this person wants to look professional, wants to have her hair laid. And they're like, nah, here's 30 bucks, do what you can do. So um, is there, is there any way to, um, I'm, is that protected under the the act? I, I would guess that it's kind of a weird caveat and maybe yeah. it's not but it's no what's these a person are to do in that exactly these are great questions i feel like i'm in law school again <laughs> um, so like no i mean i do i i would think that actually you could probably use the crown act in in as part of your defense in that type of situation right like and it, you probably have to bring up a pattern of them not accommodating you the same way that they're accommodating other employees at the station and so if they are paying whatever the price is for uh, people to get their hair cut or their nails done or their makeup done, and they have a budget for that, I think they need to accommodate. I imagine that budget might look different between men and women. And if it does, then they probably should accommodate what that budget looks like for different cultures and, you know, different needs. Um, kind of similar mm-hmm. to the story about your uh, friend with the swim cap, right? Like there are swim caps that are sold for women with thicker, curlier hair and they look different than the swim caps that are sold for, you know, our white sisters. So I think those are the types of things a business would need to think about and accommodate as they're updating whatever policies they have. Um, and so I think, you know, you would just want to make sure that as a business, if you are supplying a budget for grooming because you have a, a set standard, then you would need to make sure that that budget um, addresses the needs of your full on-air town. Yeah, I think a lot of that is also just um, a bit of ignorance, right? Like, why can't you go home and your mom do it? <laughs> right, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, for some people that might work, but, you know, for a lot of people that won't work. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? Like, what we're hoping this does, and, you know, I know what the Department of Human Rights has, has been trying to do is provide that education to businesses, to schools about, you know, it's not just as simple as a haircut. It's not just, you know, a, a, you know, it takes, uh, you know, Representative Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts. Uh, I love her so much because she's been a big proponent of this mm-hmm. bill. Same with Representative Ilhan Omar here, too. Um, but she tells the story of how when she first got to Congress and she, you know, before her alopecia, she had hair and, you know, they were trying to do her schedule. And she was like, OK, I need to go get my hair done. And they like booked like 
45 minutes. And she's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I need multiple hours to go get my hair done. Right? So it's like an education that she had to give to her staff. And so I think that's the same type of thing that the Department of Human Rights is doing. It's like an education to business owners, to school mm-hmm. of like, in order to, to do this equitably, whatever you're offering. And, and you can have the rules that you need to have, but it's just, are you making the appropriate accommodations and are you treating everyone fairly? In the 80s and lining up for uh, school picture day and uh, everybody wanted their kid to look all nice. And so the school would hand out those little little plastic combs for everyone to kind of straighten their hair like before their picture. And I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do with I would break that comb in half with my hair. So, yeah, sorry. That was just a little memory I had. No, that's cute. I mean, that's that's exactly right. So, again, this is just to like, how can we be conscious of everyone who's in our society and, you know, and again, like all of us have our role to play in that of we can all yeah. do better to keep opening our eyes to the needs of, of our fellow citizens and our fellow, mm-hmm. our fellow residents in the state. So, mm-hmm. so as we wrap up here, I would just encourage our listeners that if they feel like um, they have been discriminated against, um, they should make a claim. I know sometimes people just say, Oh, it's too much work or, oh, I don't want to have a bad relationship with, with you know, my coworkers because of this. Um, but, you know, and I've been on that side where I, you know, I had a case against an employer and I just said, I don't want to pursue it because I was too tired of it. I was like, just put them in my rearview mirror. Don't think about them again, you know, forget that. But um, reporting these things are important. And so um, if you do experience that, I would highly recommend that you report it um, to uh, whatever authority, uh, your city or state. That's my little bit of advice today. Uh, Thanks for joining us. I'm Halia Lee, owner of The Other Media Group, producer of Counter Stories and VP of Programming at Ampers. And I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians and associate of Dendril's group. And our guest co-hosts. I'm Stephanie Williams, and uh, I'm in economic development. I'm currently uh, running for Duluth School Board at large in Duluth, Minnesota. And I am Katia Cepeda, the Legislative and Policy Director in Education for the Minnesota Council on Latino Affairs. And our special guest... State Representative Esther Badgey representing Minneapolis and Northside Minneapolis. And thank you all for joining us today. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.